You know, when we finished last week, uh, I had drawn a lot of chicken scratches, right? I, I'm impressed if you guys could actually <laughs> figure out what I wrote, because uh, when I look back on it, I'm like, whoa, that's what I, you know, like it looks like that. So I apologize already for my bad penmanship, because there's going to be more today. And, uh, but when we left, yesterday we taught through the valley, last week we taught through the Valley of Dry Bones. And uh, the Valley of Dry Bones uh, led into Ezekiel 38, right, Gog and Magog. And as we always do this, just so everybody knows, as a team, we meet in what we call the Israeli war room. It's our hearts are getting prepared for what God's going to do in Israel, okay? And so we always spend some time in prayer, talking, dialoguing. And in that, uh, we just said, you know what, we're not ready to go to Ezekiel 38 yet. Uh, because when we're talking about Gog and Magog, we're talking about like a big battle, right? But we felt like before we jumped into the big battle, we wanted to describe who's, who's a part of the battle. Not just, hey, here it is, but who are the players that are coming to the table? Nations-wise, uh, individuals-wise, what does it look like? So we wanted to do a drastic pullback. Do you guys remember how in the Psalms, remember how we painted a picture of the overall view? You remember that? The first part was the first coming, and then the second part was the return of Christ. It's not bingo, I promise. Uh, but, but remember, in, in this, right, then, uh, then we said we're going to start picking it apart, specifically say, okay, we're going to talk about the Mount of Zion sometime. We're going to talk about the ruler overall, right? Does that make sense? So instead of us talking specifically about Gog and Magog, we want to unpack that even, even more. So when you get into the marriage of the Lamb, God's wrath, salvation of Israel, return of glory, ruler overall, we wanted to break that down even more. Okay, so that's, that's where we're headed today uh, in hopes that you can keep up. Remember we talk about a, a deep well? I, I, I have that phrase still in my spirit. You're going to be drinking from a deep well today. And in, in this, uh, my prayer is that the Lord would just keep bringing clarity. So when we jump in, we're jumping into Daniel, okay? <laughs> you can't just jump into Daniel, by the way. <laughs> We're going to talk about Daniel. They say that Daniel, when he transferred over, when he got taken out of captivity, he was probably-ish 14 or 15 years old. So would you go to Daniel 2, verse 1, and it says this. It says, in the second year of his reign, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Ray, backdrop of Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of? Uh, Babylonian Empire. So he's the, the ruler and reign guy of all the Babylonians. It's the famous guy, Okay. So this is King Nebuchadnezzar, and he had dreams that troubled him, and sleep deserted him. So the king, now notice it says dreams. In verse 2 it says, So the king gave orders to summon the diviner priests, magicians, mediums, right? People that want to communicate with the dead, right? Then you have sorcerers, people who can cast out spells. And then you've got Chaldeans. Chaldeans are also known as Kevin. Let's see if I got you on this one. It's other Babylon. It is. Gosh, Kevin is on it today. Chaldeans are also known as Babylonians, okay? Specifically, Babylonians who could be astrologers as well, okay? So you got all of these languages that the king is gathering all of these people of quote-unquote wisdom, and he wants them to tell the king about his dreams. So now when all of these people, they come in, right? They come in and they stand before the king, and the king said to them, all of these people, I have, a, I have had a dream, okay? And I'm anxious to understand it. Now, notice he just says dream. So what I wonder is if all of these dreams had a theme. I wonder if all of these dreams constantly, you know, Ray, you're a dreamer. You want to give a little bit of back, biblical basis on dreams even? Yeah, throughout scripture, it's one of the major ways that God speaks to us is through dreams. Uh, you know, and what I love about a dream is 
really the only thing you can mess up about a dream is the interpretation because the imagery and the experience is spirit-to-spirit -spirit communication. Yeah. And so it's a major way that God speaks because it's less interference from us. All we have to do now is uh, interpret it correctly. So what would I encourage you to do? I'd encourage you to put a notepad next to your bed. Half the problem, I think, actually, is, is people just forget it. And they're like, oh, that was so of the Lord. What was it? I don't remember. Right? You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm serious because Nebuchadnezzar was frustrated. I don't know what this means. I don't know what this means. So he brings all of these, quote unquote, non-believers and says, I need you. I'm back in Daniel 2. I need you. And I'm anxious to tell me what it means. It says in verse 4, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they spoke to the king. Now watch this. In verse 4, this is really, really interesting. I want to make sure everybody understands this. In the actual language, in this context, he now, the writer, switches to Aramaic. Obviously, we have, we have English, so we wouldn't know that. But in the original text, up until this point, you guys, you have what we would call Hebrew. Interesting enough, from Daniel 1 to Daniel, I want to just say, Daniel 1 to verses really uh, 2, uh, it, to this verse today right here, and then it picks up in Daniel 8, they're Hebrew matters. Okay, what I mean by that is speaking more of Hebrew language, Hebrew issues. When you now start getting into what we're talking about today, it has to do with Gentiles. I just think it's super interesting that all of a sudden there's a shift and he's going to write a Gentile language, an Aramaic language. Okay, again, we're, we're studying English so we wouldn't necessarily see that. But I want you to know that because now it's going to shift. That's why we've called this the fall of the Gentile nations. Okay. So we're going to start hearing some of this language. And he says this, the Aramaic begins, May the king live forever. Tell your servants a dream and we'll give the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans in verse 5, My word is final. If you don't tell me the dream and the interpretation, you'll be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a garbage dump. So in other words, I'm going to take you out and your family. You want to talk about some pressure. But if you make, in verse 6, if you make the dream and its interpretation known to me, you'll receive gifts, a reward, and a great honor from me. So make the dream and its interpretation known to me. I would be like, and I love verse 7, there's probably some elbowing going on. Hey, they answered a second time, may the king tell the dream to his servants and will give the interpretation. Like, maybe he didn't hear us the first time. The king replied in verse 8, I know for certain you're trying to gain some time because you see that my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream, there's one decree for you. He's obviously talking corporately. You have conspired to tell me something false or fraudulent until the situation changes. So tell me the dream and I will know you can give me its interpretation. In verse 10, the Chaldeans, they answered the king. And he says, no one on earth can make known what the king requests. No, nobody on earth can do what you're asking. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this of any diviner, priest, medium, or Chaldean. I love how they included everybody. <laughs> None of us can figure this thing out. What the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods whose dwelling is not with mortals. Because of this, the king, beca the king became very angry, violently angry, and he gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. <laughs> Well, that didn't go so well. Now, remember in Daniel 1, you've got four guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They fit that category, by the way. They're the wise men who ate the vegetables, right? This is the Daniel fast concept, right? This is where that came from. And now they are thrown under the bus as well in this. 
So the decree was issued that the wise men would be executed, and they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute him because they knew that they fit into this category. So this is the pitch. This is the thing that is going out. Now, I want to just say something in verse 12 because Babylon is used a lot in the end times language. In this context, destroy all the wise men of Babylon, it's probably talking more of a city language than it would be a province language. Does that make sense? So they have a concentrated area where we're going to find these guys. Okay, so in verse 13, the decree was issued uh, that the men were to be executed and they searched for Daniel and his friends. Now, in verse 14, Daniel, it says they responded with tact and discretion to Arioch, the commander of the king's guard. So Arioch is in charge, right? He's the one who is going out to execute all of the wise men of Babylon. Well, I'd show respect to him too. I mean, he's supposed to kill everybody. He asked Arioch, the king's officer, why is this decree from the king so harsh? I don't think you talk to a guy who's going to execute you unless you have a relationship. Unless you've already established who you are in the Lord. And like there's a great respect between these two. I cannot emphasize this enough. In the end times, when we're dealing with this kind of language, folks, you have to be on your game every single time. I know people don't necessarily think like that. But for me, the way I train myself to hear from the Holy Spirit every day, God, who, who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to go respond to? I do that because I believe God's preparing me to respond to the Spirit in a time of persecution. All right. Come on. Come on. Will I trust what I hear from him now? Because if I don't now, there's no way I'm going to do that when it gets to the persecution time. So my language is when, when Daniel is, is showing respect, I think he's showing us a glimpse, you guys, on as believers how we're supposed to carry ourselves. And so the scripture just continues to unpack. And so in 16, Daniel went and he asked the king to give him some time so that he could give the king the interpretation. How about that favor? He's supposed to go kill everybody. He says, can you give me a couple minutes? Yeah, because I know you. I trust you. Go. Like the more you can set the stage, you guys, with non-believers and how you, how you love them unconditionally, I believe God shows you favor. A hundred percent, I believe that. Scripture then just says this. So Daniel, he went to his house. So in his time away, what does he do? He told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Those three individuals. And what do they do? It says they began in verse 18, urging them to ask the God of heaven for mercy. They began to pray, you guys. Five times this language of God of heaven is used in, in, this, in this context. They're asking God, give us mercy concerning this mystery because it is a mystery. So Daniel and his friends would not be killed with the rest of Babylon's uh, wise men. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in vision at a night. Now, remember I said dreams, you're sleeping. That's why this is a little bit different. Vision, this context, he's still awake, but he's at night, not during the day. So in their prayer time, they're crying out and guess what? God shows up. I got to tell you, part of the preparation for the end times is not only are you actually unconditionally loving non-believers, you're pressing and expecting God to show up all the time. Amen. Like, all the time. You have to believe that God is going to show up. And I really believe, like, we just need a, like, just this fresh breath of faith in the church today. Like, we got to stop trying to calculate everything. Just, God, I think they're going to kill me, but I believe you cannot do this. I believe you can spare me. And they're crying out in prayer. And I love this. It says the mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven. And then in 20 through 23, he sends out this whole praise. And look at the praise. It's full of joy. May the name of God, I'm in verse 20, be praised forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. 
Now, this is important. He changes the times and seasons. You only pray like that unless you know what you saw and you dreamed is in correlation to what he saw. So he's going to be talking about what he saw. It has to do with times. It has to do with seasons. And then he says he removes kings and establishes kings. That's a weird phrase unless something you saw. So he's declaring to God, I saw what you told me to see. And God gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my fathers, because you have given me wisdom and power. And now you have let me what we asked of you, for you have let us know the king's mystery. So praise God. Daniel, who is praying with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at night now, Daniel gets an insight. And now he's going to go tell the king. Can you imagine the... This is the, I love, by the way, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I got a golden ticket. He just landed the golden ticket. And it dropped in his mind and in his spirit. I, I love that movie, by the way. I got it. So anyway, all right, so here's the language, right? So now it says in verse 24, therefore, Daniel, he went to Arioch, right? Who is the guy who's supposed to execute everybody? Who's the king's commander, right? And he said to the king had assigned to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He came and he said to him, don't, I wonder how he said it, by the way. You know, did he say, just calm down? Hey, don't, don't kill the wise men of Babylon. No, I think, hey, don't, don't kill them. Bring me before the king and I will give them, him the interpretation. Then Ariot quickly, absolutely. He doesn't want to kill people probably. He brought Daniel before the king and he said to him, I have found a man among the Judean exiles. Well, that's not who I thought was supposed to bring the message. God always uses the most unlikely, by the way. He called for the Chaldeans. He called for the astrologers. He called for the, the guys that are crying out to the dead. He called for the sorcerers. And you're bringing who? A Judean exile? No, they're a Newsome. Like That's probably the thought, right? who can let the king know the interpretation. So if I'm Ariok, I'm banking on what we call relationship capital. I trust Daniel so much, I'll put my life on the line to tell you this guy's for real. That's the kind of relationship with Christ that you have to have in order to reflect other people. I believe this with all my heart. Part of the preparation is that you love unconditionally to everybody. Why? So that God can make a way for you to advance the kingdom of God. I see it all the time. But the church has to believe that that's why we have to number our days every single day. And then the king says in verse 26 in reply to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. So Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel's was Belteshazzar. I'm not sure if I say it always properly, but are you able to tell me the dream that I had and its interpretation? And I love Daniel. At first, when you read this, you're like, what are you doing? He goes, no. Right? I mean, that's kind of what he, right away, he said, hey, are you able to tell? He says, no wise man, medium, diviner, priest, or astrologer is able to make known to the king the mystery he asks about, but watch what he does. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. So a man of power, a man of prestige, God is now going to unload to Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to tell you everything that's going to happen. Now, if you're a person of pride, that'll fill you up. Is that right? If you speak to a person of political, hey, I have something that you're going to know, that God wants you to know, your dream and your visions that came into your mind as you lay in bed were these. Now, just so you know, even that language has to come from the Lord. 
Well, okay. What? So as you're laying there in your bed, eyes closed, God wants you to know what you saw. And he says in verse 29, as he begins to unfold this, he says, he says, your majesty, uh, let me just, I want to read 29. Your majesty, while you were in your bed, thoughts came to your mind about what will happen in the future. The revealer of mysteries has let you know what will happen. Ray, you want to just snapshot that? What is that describing right there? Well, it's, it's describing uh, God is about to give Nebuchadnezzar uh, not only a picture of what's going to happen in his lifetime, but he's given him a snapshot all the way to the very end when Jesus returns. Yeah. Daniel, in captivity, 586 and on, right? This time frame, this whole time frame, all of a sudden gets a dream and interpretation that came to Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, by the way, you're going to see the end. This blows my mind that you and I are praying into what this means that a guy saw in 586, 605 BC. Please tell me God is good. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how incredible he is. And so he, he, he speaks into this, this last day's language. Can you go to Genesis 49, verse 1? Genesis 49, verse 1. Uh, I just, again, this, I just want to show you this language. This is not an abnormal language. Uh, it just says, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather around, and I will tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. This is normal language to the Abrahams, the Isaac, and the Jacobs. So when I hear you say you're going to have in the last days, this isn't like, what's that mean? Like, they would know, okay, at some context that this is language, okay? In the last days that we would see some of this. So, Kevin, can you go to Isaiah 2, verse 2 as well? Just want to give one more reference. Isaiah 2, verse 2. And it just says, again, all I'm trying to show you is in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains. Okay, this is, I just want to keep showing you, don't miss those little phrases when you're studying. They're markers, they're indicators about what is to come. Okay, again, typically sometimes we read through a dream, we might even just miss that. So, okay, let's go to verse 30. It says, as for me, uh, this mystery has been revealed. This is Daniel. I'm in Daniel 2, verse 30. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have more wisdom than anyone living. Don't you love the humility there? I think it's powerful. But in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. Remember, it's about the last days. He gets in verse 31. My king, as you were watching, a colossal statue appeared. The statue, tall and dazzling, was standing in front of you. And its appearance was terrifying. He's describing the dream. The head of the statue was pure gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its stomach and thighs were bronze. Gold, silver, bronze. Super easy way to remember it, Olympics, right? Gold, silver, bronze, right? I mean, it's just, just as you have a visual, what was on top? Gold, silver, bronze, gold, silver, bronze, okay? Nobody wants iron. You want gold, silver, bronze. I, does that make sense though? I mean, that's, this is the image. So he says, all right. The head of the statue was gold. Its chest and its arms were silver. Its stomach and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron and its feet. Now what you'll see on this picture were partly iron and partly fired clay. Okay. So basically you have four descriptions, gold, silver, bronze, iron, and then iron mixed with clay. Okay. Fired clay. Thank you. And then it just says this, as you were watching, I love this. In 34, now he's still describing the dream. As, as, 
as Nebuchadnezzar has his eyes closed, he's seeing the statue. You now see a stone. Okay? Can everybody just close your eyes? Yeah, I know you're probably taking notes, but just close your eyes. As you're watching this statue, a stone broke off without a hand touching it. So this stone out of nowhere, it just says, struck the statue of feet of iron and fired clay and crushed them. You can open your eyes. Daniel is describing what he saw. A rock out of nowhere came and crushed, just so everybody knows, crushed the feet. And then eventually, okay, it continues on. It says, then the iron, the fired clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were shattered and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. All of it was destroyed. The gold was shattered and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away. Now look at this language. And not a trace of them could be found. Earlier, it was just described like chaff. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So a rock out of nowhere came, destroyed it all. This rock became a mountain. Okay? So none of these four things are there anymore. They don't exist. This rock now is there. And then the scripture just says, and it filled the whole earth. So right now in this context, what do we have left? Just a stone that became a mountain. This was the dream. Daniel says, now we'll tell the king its interpretation. Okay, I just want you to have this down on the dream because it's really important to understand. Like you have a king that's in charge. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, feet with iron, feet with fired clay, now all of a sudden you got a rock. He comes, he smashes the feet. Everything else, like chafe, just gone, crumbles. And what do you have left? The rock, the mountain. Now Daniel says, now let me tell you what it is. I love this. He says, this was the dream. Your majesty, I'm in verse 37. You are king of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. Wherever people live, or wild animals, or birds of the air. He has handed them over to you and made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. So, in this context, okay, who do we have up here? Ray, what, what represents the gold? Uh, Babylon. Okay, so you have Babylon up here. And by the way, that's Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, by the way, that's you. But then it says this, after you will arise another kingdom. So this Silver, chest and arms. He says, now there's going to come another kingdom after the Babylonians. Ray, who's the ba what's after the Babylonians? That's uh, Medo-Persia. That's why there's two arms. Okay. So you have Medo-Persia. Now, interesting enough, Daniel, you don't have to go there. Uh, in Daniel 5, 18 through 31, Daniel served under the Medo-Persians. Okay. So Daniel actually eventually serves under here and here. Okay. Just so we're on the same page. Now, he also says, and after the... Uh, then after that one, another, I'm in verse 39. Let me, let me back up here. After you, there will arise another kingdom, inferior to yours, which makes them feel good, right? It's not as good, but you're no longer in power. They are. I'm not sure how that works. And then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which will rule the whole earth. So now you have three kingdoms that are going to be talking about the end time. So we know that the Babylonians ruled at one point. We know that the Medo-Persians ruled at one point. Ray, where would you go to next for the belly and thigh? The, belly and thighs the, of bronze. Greece, Greek okay. empire. Okay. So here we have Greece, the Greek empire. Now let's get into the next one. Okay. And then we're going to tie everything in. In verse 40, it says, A fourth kingdom will be as strong, bless you, as strong as iron. For iron crushes and shatters everything. And like iron that smashes, it will crush and smash all the others. 
You saw the feet and toes, partly of a potter's fire clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom. Though some of the strength of iron will be in it, you saw the iron mixed, right? You saw the iron mixed with clay. Then it says in verse 42, and the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly fired clay. Part of the kingdom will be strong and part will be brittle. Verse 43, you saw the iron mixed with clay. The peoples will mix with one another, but will not hold together. Okay, just as iron does not mix with fired clay. Let's hold it right there. All right, now, everybody, okay, you're like, okay, what's the fourth kingdom? Well, what I want to do is this. Before I even talk about the fourth kingdom, I want to back up and I want to talk about the first three kingdoms, if we can. But I want to go to Daniel 7. Now, if you guys could, would you guys go with me to Daniel 7? Now, watch this. Here's what's crazy about Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. Daniel 2 is a dream from a Gentile, right? Daniel 7, Ray is from who? It's from Daniel. It's from Daniel, a believer. So now you have a, a lost person, and now you have a, a believer. And now in Daniel 7, specifically, Kevin, let's start in verse 1. In his first year of Belshazzar, a king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind. So Daniel now has a dream with visions. That's kind of confusing, isn't it? He's got it all. And he was lying in bed. He wrote down his dream. There it is. He had a pen and paper next to him. Uh, kind of serious, right? Here, he is, the, here is the summary of his account. In Daniel 7, 2, Daniel said, In my vision at night... I, I was watching and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Verse three, it says, four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Now, can I just tell you now, Daniel two is in comparison to Daniel seven. They run parallel right with each other. So what you should start seeing is a comparison. Where is this? So now watch in Daniel seven, four, the first was like a lion but had eagle's wings. I continued watching, okay? Uh, I continued watching until its wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground, set on feet like man, and given a human mind. Everybody with me on this one? So, Ray, this is a, the animal is technically, what did I write down? A lion. A lion. So, in Daniel 7, you now have animals that are gonna be comparing this kingdom flow. Okay, is everybody with me on that? Does, you guys see how this works? Okay, now I wanna keep going to Daniel 7, 5. Suddenly, another beast appeared, a second one. That looked like a bear. Okay, so I'm just gonna write it over here, a bear. Okay, it was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth. Between its teeth, it was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. Now, in 7, 6, you have the third beast. While I was watching, another beast appeared. It was like a leopard with four wings. So now here we go. We have a leopard, right? Okay, it was a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. So, Ray, if you could, well, yeah, just these three. You want to just make sure, clean this up on any way. You see the, tell them, explain a little bit more of the, the tie-in here. Well, it's, it's um, really the same information <clears throat> that Nebuchadnezzar had in the dream, but it gets into a little more detail mm. so we can see how accurate uh, Daniel's prophetic words for. You can start really picking them apart. You know, the, the lion with the wings is kind of Nebuchadnezzar in his arrogance, and then he was humbled, you know, had the, had the uh, a mind of a man was put in him. It's talking about how God ends up humbling Nebuchadnezzar from the pride, you know, the pride of where he was at. 
you know, the bear, you can just start uh, really picking these apart. That's Medo-Persia and the leopard. When it talks about the four wings and the four, you know, heads, it's, it's the four um, uh, generals that came into power after Alexander uh, was, after he died. So it, it really gets into more detail so that you can specifically identify who these empires are and you can tie them right back into Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So here's what I want to do. It's really good. I want to go to Daniel 7 verse uh, uh, 7 and then I'm going to back up and then we're going to keep unpacking this. Okay, so you'll see this in a little bit. So in Daniel 7, 7, it says, While I was watching in the night visions, a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong with large iron teeth. Okay, even see language here, right? Does that make sense? The iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before and it had 10 horns. So now this beast right here, it was different. Okay, can we just write that up here? So this beast was different. This kingdom is different, okay? Now, this is really cool. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll put it up here just for fun. It has 10 horns, okay? What do you do with this different kingdom? There's theologically, there's a lot of different discussions about who this kingdom is, okay? Most people on any level typically would say, okay, they would typically say uh, the Romans, okay? I think you guys have heard that conversation, that argument many, many times, okay? Uh, I'd like to throw out another proposal, uh, just because for me, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not study these, I'm going to study what the, the kingdom look like. Does that make sense? Okay, so other people would say that it, it could be Islam. Okay, so either way, I, to me, I want to look at the characteristics in this. Does that make sense? If you study most commentaries, most commentaries will tell you it's the Romans. Okay, uh, some theories would be out there that it's Islam. But what I want to do is this. And the reason that they would say it's the Romans is that because eventually, let me just make sure I have my notes right here. Uh, eventually, it, it happens like this. Tony Evans had a great commentary on this. And he just said, you know, Rome was still in power when Jesus was present. Uh, Rome would eventually smash most of their powers. But the problem was that they had a weakness and that weakness was within. Okay, so hence a lot of people say because there's iron and clay, there's weakness within. So a lot of people would say, well, that's why this fits this. And then they would say that the Roman Empire is going to come back to life. Okay, that's what they would say in Revelation. That's the argument. Okay, I'm not going to get into the other ones. I just want to just say that's one of the views. Okay, does that make sense? But I want to talk through, like, what does the kingdom look like, uh, this fourth kingdom look like? Okay, I'm going to give you guys a bunch of notes here. Uh, and I just want you to have that as your backdrop. Okay, and we're going we're gonna to fly through this, okay? This comes from Deidre Sheldon, uh, and I really appreciate Deidre Sheldon's perspectives. Now, what happens is in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, I'm describing the fourth kingdom now, okay? So forget for just a second, okay? who the fourth kingdom is, okay? Forget that. Forget that it's Romans. Forget that it's Islam. I want you to know what does the scriptures just say, and then you guys begin to put that to the test. Is that fair? Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, right? They both, both Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 and in Revelation. So both Daniel and John, because John wrote Revelation, right? They both described what we would call the fourth kingdom. So what you're going to see in Revelation 12, Revelation 
uh, 13, Revelation 17, Daniel and John both describe, hey, remember, Nebuchadnezzar said in the last days, there's going to be a fourth kingdom that arises, right? Does that make sense? There's going to be one that's coming. John talks about this, okay? So we already know that the fourth kingdom is described in Daniel and in Revelation. I also want you to understand this fourth kingdom has a ridiculous power source. Ray, where does this power source come from, unfortunately? Uh, Satan. Okay. The fourth kingdom is not of the Lord, but it's going to be a power source. Okay. So again, there was an empire that came after, yes, Greek, without even saying who it is. We just need to know that that empire now is coming back in the end times. And they're going to come with a power source. They're also going to have this ridiculous strength. Ray, what does that look like, do you think? Power source and strength. Well, it's, it's, they're going to have the uh, ability to inflict their will. Yep. Which means they can enforce pain on people. You will see in the fourth kingdom, whether you're here or not, you're going to see a whole lot of fighting going on. And the fourth kingdom is going to bring it. Okay? Daniel talks about this, and so does John. At the same time, we already saw this language, right? This fourth kingdom is not like any of the others. It's different. They are different, but they have a hard time getting along within each other. <laughs> That's another conversation, maybe for next week. Okay. Another one. Here's what's going to happen. As this fourth kingdom takes place, okay, uh, they are going to l release. Uh, how do I put this? Uh, Deidre put it this way. They spawn. Uh, what they do is they spawn 10 kings. 10 kings from 10 nations are going to come from this fourth kingdom. Dre, you want to speak into that at all? Yeah, it's, it's in several places. It's one of the themes of that end times empire is there's going to be a 10 nation uh, federation led by the Antichrist. The, uh, okay, hang on. So just before okay. I say that, then let's just go there. So then from the 10 kings and 10 nations is going to come another king from the 10 nations. Does that make sense? There's going to be a king that rises up from the 10. And in this, he's going to eventually overthrow. He overthrows two uh, or three. I think, I think it's two. Uh, I'm 90% sure it's two. He overthrows two and rises up. But those are still empires that he has uh, more or less influence or sway over. One other thing about this, it's pretty messy yeah. when you read about it. Kevin, what did you want to say? I'm sorry. Daniel 7, 8. Go to Daniel 7, 8. So, uh, while I was considering the horns, thanks, Kevin, suddenly another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. So maybe it was even three kings. It was three kings, not two. There were eyes in this horn like a man's, and it had a mouth like that spoke arrogantly. So, here's what I want you to understand. In the fourth kingdom, okay, I want you to slow down for a second, because people always say, what are the things we're looking for? Well, we know that Daniel and John said it's going to happen in the end times. We know that they have a power source. We know that there's strength. We know that they could crush people left and right, and they're going to. We know that they're radically different than the other three. They're going to look nothing like the other three. That's super important, by the way. And in this, they're going to gather these 10 core nations and leaders. You call it, a, I think, a federation. Okay, this, this group of nations, and in the ten nations, then you have what we would call an, another king. We would also call this the Antichrist. Yeah. Okay, 
Now, a lot of us get hung up on the terminology. That's fine. I'm fine if you call him the Antichrist. He is the Antichrist. But the reality is, is that a king, because to me, that's how I want us to think. A king is going to pop up from those kings. These are the markers that we're looking for in this period of what? The fourth kingdom. Okay? But what happens is, is that when we, when we label it in the past, when we label it other empires, we kind of check out, to be honest. And then you kind of just think, oh, well, we're not seeing that again. So therefore, I don't want us to think like that. I want to think about why was the scriptures describing these? Ray, you got something? No, that's, that's exactly what helps us to step outside of everything we've been taught and just start letting scripture speak to us. And it'll give us a uh, kind of wipe the filter off of our lens. Okay, so another characteristic of the fourth kingdom, okay, with the Antichrist is eventually they're going to control the region. To some extent, they will be a super world power with some things. Again, these are not from myself. These come from Deidre Sheldon. One of them, though, I love uh, that Ray and I just are in full agreement. What you're going to see in uh, the fourth kingdom is persecution of the saints on any level. It doesn't matter if you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Eventually, like, there's going to be, because you remember this, right? There's going to be people that come to know Christ. So in this, I just want you to know there will be a believer, however you perceive that who that is, there's going to be persecution. Fourth kingdom, you're going to see this coming. Again, I just, I think, man, I, I, I spent a lot of time in an in educational institution, and I think it's awesome. It, it trained me and equipped me, but I think a lot of times I just took a lot of these things that I was taught, and I never just looked at it for myself and said, what does the scripture say? I, my goal is for you guys to say, man, I, I get this. I get that in the fourth kingdom, these are some of the characteristics. That's what we want to be watching for. Now, in this, this is where it gets super fun, and this is the last one. And Ray changed my language, right? So the lamb, he wanted me to use this word, so I will. How funny is it and interesting, the lamb slaughters. <laughs> I'll put it. The lamb, the peaceful lamb, right? slaughters the kings. Because the lamb's going to come slaughter, let's wrap all of this up. Let's go back to Daniel 2, because to me, this is, this, is the, this is the home run. In Daniel 2, he then begins to describe, and here's what I want to just say. I want to go back to this picture here, right? Okay, remember the crushing rock? All of these things are here. We've described all of the kingdom, the fourth kingdom, but praise God, he says in verse 45, uh, no, in verse 44, it says this, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. He's speaking to a non-believer at this point, right? Nebuchadnezzar. And this kingdom will not be left to another people. And I wrote in big letters, boom! It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. So here's the reality, you guys. The fifth kingdom... It's the final kingdom. It's the Lord's kingdom. And sometimes we get so stuck on the fourth kingdom, we forget that the fifth kingdom is coming. And we see this in Daniel 7. We see this in Daniel 2. And, and it just says, and I love it, it says, you saw a stone break off in verse 45 from the mountain without a hand touching it. And it crushed the iron, bronze, fired clay, silver and gold. The great God has told the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation certain. It's a done deal. Wow. Amen. 
All of these kingdoms that you are going to see come, you're going to see Babylon, Medo-Persia, Persia. you're going to see Greece fall. Whoever you're going to see that fourth kingdom, you're going to see fall. But I can guarantee you this, Christ is going to rule and reign over all of them. Amen. Can you imagine being King Nebuchadnezzar and hearing this? What? What's this kingdom about? And just as a cool picture, just to see in verse 46 to support Ray, what he said, the king then King Nebuchadnezzar fell down, paid homage to Daniel, gave orders to present an offering and incense to him. The king said to Daniel, your God is indeed God of gods, Lord of lords, and a revealer of mystery, since you were able to reveal this mystery. In 48, then the king promoted Daniel, gave him many generous gifts. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and chief governor over all the wise men. And oh, by the way, I got some things for your buddies. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to manage the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down, can everybody go to Luke 20, verse 17 and 18? Luke 20, 17 and 18 is such a powerful picture of everything that we really are talking about. Luke 20, 17 and 18, he says, but he looked at them, this is Jesus, and said, then what is the meaning of this scripture, the stone that the builders rejected? This has become the cornerstone? Verse 18, it says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And if it falls on anyone, it will grind him to powder. Jesus ties in the fulfillment to Daniel 2. Now go to Daniel 7, Kevin, will you? Daniel 7, this is, it's just so mind-blowing to me. When you go to Daniel 7, uh, Kevin, I believe it's at the very end. Let me get there for you. In Daniel 7, just to emphasize uh, scripture, uh, let's go, Kevin, to, let's just start in 9, Daniel 7, 9. Daniel 7, 9. It says, as I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took a seat. His clothing was white like snow and the hair of his head like white as wool. It reminds me of what David was even singing. I know you're painting a picture of Revelation, but you're also painting a picture of Daniel. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his res uh, re resins? Resins? Thousands upon thousands served him. 10,000 times, 10,000 stood before him. The court was convened and the books were open. Now watch, it says in verse 11, I watched them because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed. There's the beast, by the way. Uh, it was, and the body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their authority to rule was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching in the night vision, and I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given authority to rule and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. It all ties in. And I really believe when we just slow down and say, okay, here's some governments, here's some empires, they're fleeting. Scripture says it's a drop in the bucket because ultimately he's coming to establish his rule and reign forever.
So those qualities and characteristics, I just wanted to help paint a picture before we continue to get into a little bit more. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, we just say thanks for this time. Thank you uh, for allowing us to see what you're showing us. And I just pray, Lord, that you would keep bringing clarity to this picture. Show us even more what this fourth kingdom looks like so that we can get ready for the rock to come. I love you, Jesus, and I thank you for every person in this room and online in your name. Amen.